Hey, you. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Sega Guys Retropod. My name is James, better known in Twitterland as the Dreamcast Addict, and I'm delighted to be joined by my partner in crime for this project, Dan, who you will know as Swooper D on Twitter. So, how you doing, Dan? Hi, hi, James. It's uh, great to finally get this started, mate. It isn't half. It's uh, it's taken a wee while, but lots of planning in the background, um, and delighted to to finally get it underway. I've been really excited to get this going. Um, as you can tell, because I've been bombarding you with Twitter messages. <laughs> oh, likewise, I've been excited on my side as well, James. I mean, it's, uh, it's. I think we're both passionate about the the subject at hand, so uh, mm-hmm. it's exciting to be to uh, to get this going. Yep. Um, and just to give listeners a kind of a rundown as to what actually started this, um, this was all down to an exchange of tweets where um, it was mentioned about which. Uh, which era was Sega at their most innovative? And obviously, you being a, the Saturn connoisseur, I had, had gone for the, the Saturn, and my uh, my Twitter handle was self-explanatory and where my opinion <laughs> lies on that. So um, uh, we kind of got in touch and just decided, I think I, I tweeted you and says it would make a good article. Um, and, and we have, as you know, we've, we've been working pretty hard behind the scenes on on the written piece that will accompany this, obviously, going forward as well. Um, and that will be released so you can, well, I would say in your commute to work, but we're not allowed to go anywhere. So maybe your commute to the toilet or something, you can maybe read it going up and down the stairs or something, I don't know. Um, but also the, the, the subject at hand for this one, um, as I say, prompted by that tweet, guys, is that it is which system, the Saturn or the Dreamcast, which one of those was... Sega at their most innovative, at their creative best. When were the juices flowing? Um, obviously, Dan's going for the Saturn. I'm going for the Dreamcast. Um, and we're going to start things off. We've picked five games each, which we believe represent that that creativity. Um, and we're going to just kind of go through them, nice friendly chat back and forward, um, and give our kind of reasons, and just hopefully take you guys down a, a kind of wee bit of memory lane as well. Because um, I say that the Saturn, we both love Sega as a as a company, as a gaming company, right? It's not as if we're kind of we're not tribal towards one or the other. We both love the all the systems, but we just have a kind of particular um, affinity for the the respective ones that we've chosen. So we'll start with the Saturn because it did come out first. So Dan, we'll count it down from five to one. Let's get things underway. Number five, mate. So number five for me, uh, I think what we'll start with is uh, Panzer Dragoon. Um, seen as the, the earliest game on my list. Now, I think the reason why this one stands out to me is because when the Saturn and the PlayStation 1 first launched, I mean, the 3D time was so exciting. Um, seeing games move from the SNES Mega Drive era into fully poly- polygonal right worlds. And we'd seen Sega in the arcades with Virtual Fighter uh, and Virtual Racing. Uh, I think the thing with those games is they were... There were concepts we'd already had in some form in the home. We'd had racing games, we'd had fighting games. And uh, the PlayStation, of course, it had Battle Arena to Shinden. It had uh, Ridge Racer, which uh, looks phenomenal at the time. Um, but one game that stood out was Panzer Dragoon. Um, and I think that demonstrates uh, how Sega were so differently thinking, how they were so. They, they allowed their teams free reign just to, to create these these worlds that you would see anywhere else. Now, when I first thought Panzer Dragoon in motion, um, 
I was blown away. Uh, I first saw it um, in a in a gaming shop in in, in Watford. Um, I just remember seeing it on the screen at the time. I didn't realise that the Saturn was actually out um, because of the the history around <laughs> the way that Sega launched the thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, I don't know what your memory is, James. I think you might have a better memory of the launch than I do, but I, I think I was I was 12 at the time, maybe maybe even 11. And um, I just remember that this Saturn was this faraway thing that um, it was it was the future, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it was there and it was in this shop. Um, but they had a demo of this running, and it was absolutely stunning at the time. I've never seen anything like it. Um, the way that the camera could rotate 360 degrees around the dragon was uh, was completely unheard of. You you felt immersed in this world uh, rather than just a standard rail shooter like Afterburner or Star Fox. Um, the art design was different to every, anything else you'd seen before. These this stark, desolate, post-apocalyptic world that you're traversing across on this beautifully animated dragon um it was just absolutely spellbinding and that's the sort of thing that i that i think of when i think of sega that they it's got the blue skies it's got a stunning soundtrack it's a home game first and foremost but it feel there's an arcade feel to it as well and that's why i feel it encapsulates sega at their most that their most creative and that that stage really represents what Sega are and what I think we're discussing between ourselves uh, in in this series. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, launch-wise, what was what '95? The Saturn came out, so like, I'd just turned 16 at the time. So well, I would go to the arcades, the, the local kind of arcade in, in the city centre in Glasgow with Monkle on weekends. Mm. Um, it was called Booths Enterprises. It's actually still there, but it's full of slot machines. There's no there's no video games anymore, which is a tragic kind of sign of the times when it comes to arcades. Um, but yeah, I mean, I used to go there and play like your Virtua Fighters, Virtua Cop, you know, Sega Rally, all these kind of games. And when it came to the, the, the Saturn launching, again, the, the Saturn was more kind of my, my first experience of a console at home that I had access to because Monko bought one the, the launch week in uh, Comet, which is now defunct um, UK store. Um, and the only reason that I knew anything about it is because he bought one um, as I've said to you um, we've been speaking obviously in, in private messages that I used to go up and visit every Friday um, after school um, and I got into his house and you know obviously he blocked me off at the door to his, his room where he had set up all his entertainment stuff and all I heard was the, the ding ding from Virtua Fighter and I'm not knowing what the menu noises are because I've only ever played it in the arcade um, and then the character select screen come, kicks up and I know that music and then fight one. I'm like, holy, holy shit! He's got fucked your fighter in that room. How's that happened? So, you know, there was that kind of aspect. It kind of snuck up on me as well. Um, but I, I remember seeing Panzer Dragoon as well. And the, the thing that stuck out for me instantly with Panzer Dragoon was that intro music. And in fact, the music yeah. in the game in general is just sensational. Oh, absolutely! It's one of the best sound, most distinct soundtracks of that entire generation. Um, and the fact that people still uh, still revere it now is just uh, it just speaks volumes about the quality of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, overall. Yeah, I mean, I think I put a tweet out on the Sega guys account um, a couple of days ago, and it's the one that always sticks in my mind. It just the intro one aside from within the game, and it's episode three. Yeah. And it's just like. Doom, 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 doom. 
and the way it starts with just a heavy bass line and you're pumped you're ready to go you're like here we go let's just get straight back into it and it's as you say the, the sweeping camera the animation the, the, the dragon's wings just the, the whole thing it's, it's, it's very very um, encapsulating the way it does it's, it's a beautiful beautiful video game it is, and to to think that it's one of the very first games of that of that generation. Um, you think that what a year or two before, I think Cybermorph on the Jaguar, on the Atari Jaguar. <laughs> yep. Um, I mean, c- compare them. It's like it's it's light years of difference. Um, it's the same if you compare it to Star Wing. I mean, there was just nothing else like it. I mean, for it to bring that sort of that additional detail and that animation, that world and that soundtrack. And to have that for that free movement all around the dragon was just completely unlike anything else you'd ever seen before. And it's it, it, out the gate that's like, wow, that's Sega in a nutshell, you know, pushing boundaries, uh, letting their developers create these these games, which um, you know, somewhat unfairly, these games get overlooked because they're not they're not really mainstream. But that's what I love about Sega is that they're imaginative and and they 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 do things that are uh, that or, or Sega of this era, or, they do things that are unusual. Mm-hmm. And just that thing you were talking about there as well, the, the mainstream aspect, like, again, we spoke about this in private, the kind of thing about it almost felt like back in the day that the PlayStation was being kind of unfairly pushed almost to the point where you jokingly wondered, was there a commission being paid here for? Because I told you about the, the shop I, I seen it in, was it GameZone in Partick? Um uh, a place just in the suburbs of Glasgow um, no longer there as well all the independent stores are all gone but um, there was a guy in there as I told you and he was way too overdressed I think he was like a reject from like a, a Curry's interview he had yeah. the, the big suit with the padded shoulders you know and standing there and I always remember people going in oh Panzer Dragoon that looks beautiful and he's like it looks good but it's not up to much <laughs> like you're having a laugh yeah it's completely bonkers. Um, <laughs> it's not up too much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, there was nothing else like it at the time. Uh, the fact that I think it was Game that I was in at the time, or maybe Electronics Boutique before. I remember the location, I can't remember what the branding was at the time. Um, but the fact that they chose to show it was, um, you know, it, it says something about the game's quality that that was, you know, what they were advertising the Saturn with. But then at the, that point, I think that was before the PlayStation had launched over here. But it's like, as we said, over over messages, um, I had a very similar experience to you. I, I saved up uh, for all my birthday money, um, pocket money, paper round money for a while. It took me a while to finally get the money to buy a Sega Saturn, and that was in 1996, uh, November. So after my birthday, I took everything and went and got a, a Saturn. Uh, and the guy in Comet was just like, so are you sure you don't want a PlayStation? Yeah, I'm sure you do. I don't want a PlayStation. Well, have you seen Crash Bandicoot? Yeah, I've seen Crash Bandicoot. It's, it doesn't really interest me. Nights into Dreams, Sega Rally, Virtual Fighter, that interests me. No, but there's PlayStations, but no, I know what I want, mate. <laughs> Come on. And my mum and dad are saying to me, are you sure you don't want the PlayStation? Yes, I know what I want. <laughs> just hurry up and give me the Saturn before. Just... Oh, but that was very much the way it felt back then. Yeah, and you know, from us exchanging those messages and, and those experiences, um, it was quite kind of striking to me that the way that they actually did kind of align, they were very, very similar. Just that kind of attitude that you know the Saturn was pretty much just swept aside, you know, kind of pushed aside like kind of like an ugly like kind of relative, you know, just out the road, yeah. just don't don't bother with that one. Just look at the shiny PlayStation. Yeah, I, I would have thought that if if a, if a customer's coming, you know 
wanting to buy a very specific machine, why would you try and steer them towards something else? Because you've, you've got to sell that machine as well at the end of the day. Uh, exactly. So it didn't make sense to me. Well, and, unless, you know, who knows? I mean, I, we know Sega knocks off people in uh, certain chains in the, in the US for yep. the way that they launched it. Mm-hmm. I know who's to say if something happened over here and people were like, yeah, do you know what, Sega, they messed us around, so push the PlayStation instead, so who knows. But yeah, it's very, it's very funny how, um, how, you know, so far apart in the country we are that our experiences were almost identical. <laughs> so there's definitely something going on there. There is underhand, underhand, mate. <laughs> uh, we'll move on then to your, your second game then. Yeah, so I think we can probably lead on from, uh, from when I, purchased the console in uh, 1996 um, and you would have had the same uh, disc as I had with Sega Flash Volume 2 uh, and I believe it was on that that Dragon Force was on there uh, and that's my second game that I wanted to talk about um, so for anyone that hasn't played it uh, Dragon Force is it's kind of an RPG crossed with a sort of a tactical um, RTS um, it's very hard to define because once again, we're talking about a game that there is nothing else out there that's quite like it. Um, you start off and you pick uh, a ruler from one of these eight kingdoms, um, and they've all got their own army. The, the, they've all got their own generals. The generals all have their own special abilities. And basically what you need to do is you go around from castle to castle, uh, conquering. Uh, you, there's dialogue. Uh, your battle, and these battles, you'll start with ten soldiers, uh, and then you'll more kingdoms you conquer um the more uh, the more people that you can recruit the larger your army gets you'll go from having just soldiers to things like um ninjas and beastmen and harpies and dragons and and all sorts of stuff and the fascinating thing about this is that sometimes i think i wonder if this was just a, de- a tech demo that someone just ran with because uh each army is capable of having up to 100 participants on each side uh and then if you include the generals that's 202 sprites on a on a field uh and those battles got insanely busy when you were in the deep end of the game um and it's just a, a phenomenal game to play uh it's incredibly absorbing um it's beautiful to look at um and once again, it feels like um, Sega were developing this house or, or, and in-house. Uh, maybe it was a tech demo originally, but they said, you know what, this is pretty good. Let's just run with it. Um, and again, this is a beautiful, brightly coloured uh, Sega game. Great soundtrack. Um, fantastic to play. Um, and you just think that this is Sega once again pushing boundaries doing something that was completely different to anything else because you still can't play anything quite like this game uh, and that's the reason why I think Dragon Force is such a good example of Sega once again pushing those boundaries and being uh, and being creative and imaginative and capturing you know that that look and feel that we're that we're talking about 202 sprites mental isn't it <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just let that sink in. 202 sprites on screen. That's just... I mean, it's a game that I never, ever bought and didn't own, but I do recall the demo, as you mentioned. Um, but, I mean, it's just that kind of, as you said, in, in your, your actual written piece, it's, it's testament to the Saturn's 2D power. Oh, absolutely. You know? um, I did actually own it. Uh, well, I, I, I owned it again. Um, I actually went through all i think there's actually nine campaigns i think there's a secret campaign but it's not like a full one uh and i played i played the, the hell out of it 
Um, but uh, I actually traded it in in uh, early 1999 towards the Dreamcast, actually. Um, oh, there you go. <laughs> the sacrificial lamb. Yeah, it was one, one, of, one of a few that I that I missed, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and uh, unfortunately, if you try and get hold of this game, at least in the English version now, the US and uh, PAL versions cost quite a bit. Uh, you're looking upwards of 100, 100 pounds. Uh, fortunately, the, the Japanese one's fairly affordable, which is what I've got now, albeit you have to play it all in Japanese text. Um, but yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to own it. Um, I think I bought it brand new uh, after seeing that demo, a little while after seeing that demo, and it just blew me away. And just seeing all those sprites on, on screen, it never seems to get old. The novelty never seemed to wear off. And even when you, especially since you're going from, okay, the game's got a hundred soldiers on screen and all of a sudden you're fighting someone that's got like a hundred harpies who've got wings and are flying about and doing all this crazy stuff. And you think, okay, well, the soldiers are old hat now. I'm going to move on to this. There's always something more exciting <laughs> coming up. It's, 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 it's a, a phenomenal game. It, it really is. Uh, and it's just a, it's just a, a shame that, um, it only got one port to the PS2, uh, which was Japan only. I think it was bundled with its sequel and part of the Sega Ages pack. Um, and we've never seen it, you know, revisited. I mean, Sega of, of today are terrible for, for doing stuff or not doing anything with their IPs. Yeah, but that's, that's, it, another, that's another podcast. Oh, yeah, it, it is. We can talk <laughs> about that, can we? <laughs> Join but, us yeah. next week. <laughs> I mean, that's a 10-parter, isn't it? Oh, Christ, <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's just a crying shame. I mean, that one, it's never really been ported to anything aside from the Sega Ages collection on, in Japan, exclusive to PS2. And, two, that no one's actually tried to... Um, do some sort of spiritual successor or homage to it because it really does need to be experienced. It's a beautiful, beautiful game. And the dog in the background. Yeah. The dog has something to say? Uh, apologies for that. I mean, he's, he's, <laughs> I'm on the top floor of my house. He's two floors down. I'm <laughs> If, uh, if Matu decide to come cascading down the stairs like a scene of Jumanji, then you hear it as well. So it's, it's all good, man. Can't control kids and pets. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it is what it is. Hopefully the kids will stay down. Game number three? Game number three um, is one of my absolute personal favourite games of all time, and that is Guardian Heroes. Beautiful game. Beautiful game. Um, uh is it a little bit of a cheat, this one? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's it's a Treasure-developed game. As we know, Treasure were a third party. But I think at this stage, they've solely made games for uh, Sega consoles. I don't think they've made anything for any other system aside from the Mega Drive and Saturn at this point. Um, so they're almost like a second-party developer for Sega. Um, and Sega's name seems to appear on, on the Xbox 360 port, which is now compatible with Xbox One. So I think Sega must have had a hand in it some way. So they must have greenlighted it. They published it. They put the money up. So I think, hey, Guardian Heroes is a great example of Sega saying, look, this is a fantastic idea. Let's fund this and let's bring it uh, to a live audience. Now, I remember reading some odd reviews on this one. I think Saturn Power may have given this a, a, a really hard time saying it was a, a dull 2D hack and slash um, and that, I think that was the first review that I'd read and that and, uh, and I thought well I'll pass that game by, I'm not worried about that and then a friend told me no you need to play Guardian Heroes and boy am I glad that he told me to play it <laughs> um, this is another game that kind of defies convention uh, was unlike a, pretty much anything else at the time uh, we're talking about a scrolling beat em up 
but that's only part of this sort of cocktail of, of genres that, that it seems to encompass. So uh, it's a scrolling beat'em up where you can actually perform fighting moves as if it's Street Fighter. So certain characters will have commands that they can access via doing sort of the, the, the Hadouken uh, quarter circle forward move uh, or a, a dragon punch move or a certain other uh, input commands to attack uh, the, the enemies on screen. Um, you've also got uh, multiple planes that can need to traverse. So if you're doing your, if you're controlling your combat in that way, then you need to move forward and back towards the, in the screen differently. So you you travel along multiple planes, which is quite different to any other uh, Roman beat 'em up at the time. Uh, it also throws in a RPG style um, uh, progression system where you can update your uh, your magic, your your health, uh, and all these other abilities. And on top of all that, there's multiple routes. I think there are 30 stages. Uh, they can be traversed in multiple orders, um, and there's multiple endings. Uh, so it's an absolutely astonishing amount of content in a game. Uh, various genres all smoshed together, uh, and the result is something that's that's actually quite beautiful. Um, you've got these huge sprites on screen, multiple sprites on screen. I mean, this is another game where, it's the, where the Saturn's really thrown its weight around. It's uh, 2D. Um, it's 2D passion. It's, it's, it's power is being thrown around here uh, because it's, it's juggling all these. There's barely any slowdown. Um, and it's it's just a game that it looks Sega. It's it's so different to anything else. Uh, and once again, it's 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 Sega. Even if they even if they only touched on it lightly from a development perspective, it shows the sort of games that they wanted their players to play. Uh, and it just once again epitomises Sega of that era for me. See, I'm a I'm a Guardian Heroes hipster because I'm the opposite, and I just completely ignored that. Like, oh. it wasn't until, like, basically it became this thing of legend. Yeah. <laughs> that I, I went, I better pick this up and see what all the fuss is about. Um, and just what you said there, you know, for, for me it was like a, it was like watching a, a cartoon, like a Saturday morning cartoon that you controlled. Yeah. The kind of, the style of it kind of struck me as like kind of mysterious cities of gold and, Vic, you know, mixed with kind of Ulysses, kind of that. It gives yeah. me those kind of, that kind of vibe. You know, it's got that kind of Saturday morning cartoon look and just the way it moved. And as you said, the, the way it mashed up, you know, to, to take the elements of like a side scroll and beat them up and merge it with an RPG. And again, we've had plenty of, you know, retakes on, on RPGs. You look at Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is taking it away from the turn based, although you can enable that. But it's went into kind of more of a, a free roam free format kind of combat mechanism, whereas Guardian Heroes was kind of doing a similar idea to that way back. Yeah. You, know, you weren't just stuck to, you know, you can go around an open world, you get to this point, fight starts, stay static, you only move whenever you pick a command to do so. You had control over all your characters. Um, yeah. And it was it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful game. Um, and I say it was one, I had the PAL version. I got it pretty cheap at the time, near the end of the, you know, the, the Saturn's lifespan. Um, was part of the collection that was that was sold on, but it's just I uh, a really really worthy entry. And I say just the fact that it was like I'm watching like a Saturday morning cartoon. Um, for as much as I didn't you know play um, you know Dragon Force, didn't own Dragon Force, only witnessed that on like a demo. And at that point, I wasn't much of an RPG fan. And to be fair, I still really am. I'm not much of an RPG fan. Um, 
but you couldn't help but admire, you know, the the 2D capabilities of both of those games. Um, and we all know the Saturn was was designed first and foremost as that kind of 2D powerhouse. Um, you know, games like Marvel versus uh, or Marvel Superheroes versus Street Fighter, X Men versus Street Fighter, things like that. Um, the four meg RAM cart, which shamefully never came to the UK. Yeah. Um, just throwing sprites and effects around the screen like nobody's business. But no, uh, definitely a worth a worthwhile entry. Guardian Heroes, beautiful, beautiful game. Um, I mean, yeah. I was... sorry, mate. Sorry, mate. I was gonna say I was. I, I mean, I was lucky enough to uh, to play it kind of in its heyday. Mm. Um, um, I mean, I wrote a, a pretty substantial piece on uh, on Game Tripper, uh, which is uh, another great site. Uh, you can follow on Twitter on at Game Tripper. Um, but one thing I talk about there is how uh, I was told about this from a friend. Uh, I bought the game. Uh, we played for it co-op. Um, then we messed around in the arena. We had a multi-tap, and then we showed a friend it. Two, three friends turned into ended up being six, so the full quota of six-player combat. And it's actually <laughs> it's actually turned a couple of those friends into into new Saturn odors purely on the on the on the back of this game. Um, and it's funny how how slept on it was. Um, as you, as you say, it it, it didn't come uh, you, you weren't aware of it, or it didn't come into your world until later. Yeah. And, as, and as I said, I was turned off by initial reviews. Um, but it really is a game that's kind of flown under the radar. And again, it's 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 about the, I, took, I mentioned the mainstream side of things before. It didn't catch on with the mainstream. It wasn't one that everyone was talking about, like Tekken or, or Golden Eye was another one. At, at, by the time I got this, that everyone was talking about. No one really knew about Guardian Heroes apart from those that that had played it, and was and, and it was only those that played it that knew it was really something special. Uh, and that's the, that's the great beauty of it, and and the great tragedy, I think. And the fact as well that if you've never played it, you do have an opportunity because I believe it is on Xbox Live. It's backwards compatible. It is. It's uh, playable on Xbox One, and there you uh, go. it's not not expensive. I don't think. It's, I think it's less than a tenner. So there's really no excuse. I still prefer to play it on the Saturn. Obviously, uh, I'm not a fan of. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the new translation or the or the or the HD graphics uh, on the Xbox One or the Xbox 360 version. But it's the it, Despite those minor niggles, it's still an incredible play game that anyone with a 360 or an Xbox One really just owes it to themselves to play. Mm-hmm. Superb. And your penultimate game then? My penultimate game um, is uh, a 3D one. So we've talked about the the, uh, the Saturn's 2D powers. So back to 3D now, uh, <laughs> and, we're, and uh, we're talking about an arcade port. So uh, I think, as I say in the written piece. Um, the stuff that Sega was doing in arcades at the time was second to none. Um, they were trailblazers in the 3D space. I mean, they had Virtual Fighter, which which turned everyone's heads. Virtual Racing, also, you know, I, I remember first seeing that and I was absolutely blown away. Um, Daytona USA, again, a phenomenal game. You know, racing games, fighting games. They were amazing to see them in in 3D. Uh, but in terms of concepts, they weren't really that new. And as much as I, as much as I love Virtua Fighter, you know, Akira very much is Ryu, Jackie Bryant pretty much is Guile, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we're only thinking, well, if, what's an arcade game where, you know, the, the concept is original, uh, and it's Sega once again pushing the boundaries. And I think in nowhere else is that personified better than Virtua On. Um, so Virtual One, for those uh, that have never seen it before, is a one-on-one mech fighting game. 
Um, it's in the arcade. Uh, it uses a, a very specific control method where you use uh, two joysticks uh, with uh, a couple of triggers on, uh, and you have a three moves uh, which can be used, which you access by pressing alternate triggers or both at the same time. Uh, using the sticks, you can whiz about the, the, the whole arena. You can jump, uh, dash, uh, all sorts of things. Um, it controls extremely uniquely. Um, and it would have been quite easy for uh, for Sega to go, do you know what? We've got this uh, virtual fighter uh, engine or, or way of uh, building a game. Let's just stick some mechs into it, you know, kind of like Capcom did with Cyberbots, which is uh, a one-on-one fighting game. Uh, but this is completely different. It's n- so unlike any other fighting game. It's also unlike any sort of mech, mech, fight, mech uh, battling game. You look at Mech Warrior or Earth Siege, Star Siege, they're completely different again. Um, this was a stunning game to look at. Um, your the story centers around these these mechs that are fighting to save Earth and ward off this evil organization. But the game's so bright again; it looks like it's a it's from the mind of like a a, a cartoon or manga, um, and it plays completely unlike anything else out there. Um, I believe it was exceptionally uh, popular in Japan. Uh, for some reason, it never quite took off uh, in the West. Uh, the arcade was stunning, uh, and it was one of these games that the Saturn really had no right to, to pull off a, uh, a, a a port that would you know function in a, in any way, shape, or form. But it's a phenomenal port, uh, plays exceptionally well, uh, runs at 30 frames per second, but there's no quibbles about that. It still runs very smooth for the system. Uh, even puts in a two-player versus mode. Um, it's a game I still love to play. I'll, I'll put it on now and again. Uh, it's obviously an arcade game, so it's very pick up and play. Again, another thing that Sega really do uh, excel at. Uh, and for all those reasons, again, I think it's a, another uh, another great example of Sega uh, being at the top of their game and pushing those boundaries once again. It's like a Gundam simulator. I think was the the best way I could describe it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's why it was probably so popular in Japan because obviously like their their culture and their the, the kind of the mechs and all that kind of thing. That's you can see why it's it's got a very very distinct Japanese feel to it. Um, it's just a shame that we didn't get the the dual sticks over here um, yeah. that were released in Japan. Because um, while you were talking about it, I had a look on eBay, um, and you can get the the Japanese dual sticks for eighty quid with a copy of the game. Yeah, um, yeah, which I've, isn't I've... bad. That's yeah. not too shabby. Not too bad. I mean, I've been after a couple. I'm trying. I'm trying to see if I can get them for cheaper. Um, I've actually got an adapter for my uh, for my Dreamcast that I use my sat. I can use a Saturn pad on, and it allows you to use the virtual sticks. And I keep thinking, right, if I get that stick for the Saturn that I can use on the Dreamcast, I'll have to get a copy of Oratorio Tangram as oh, well. That's, that's a great port as well. Oh, that's an. I mean, it's enough one. The Dreamcast port is. It, it's, I feel like it's better than Arcade Perfect, that one. But I mean, virtual on in a Saturn, just as you, you touched on it there, and it's kind of a line that I used in the written piece as well, that the Saturn had no right running this at all. You know what no. I mean? Just the, the, the actual quality of the conversion is, is ridiculous. And as you said, it, it is unlike 
kind of any fighting game that was out at the time. Um, you know, arena-based, kind of isometric, kind of 3D view. You had various obstacles on the stage. You had crates. You had um, a kind of cargo hold, like kind of tankers. You know, um, just various barriers that you could like, take cover behind and. You also used the, the shoulder buttons and the controller, for, if I remember, to dash left and right. So your your mech would fire its, its rockets to go left and right to, to evade attacks, um, jump up and, and lock on, and all these. It was just it was just a, a, an assault to the senses. It really was. And yeah. there's there's some uh, visual techniques in the Saturn version that people said they couldn't it couldn't put off transparencies. Yeah, transparencies. Yeah, they're readily evident in this game. Um, I mean, Virtual One in the arcade was, it felt like a really pre, like high-end Model 2 game. It, it really ran so fast, was so colourful, so bright, and so much going on. Uh, and for the Saturn to be able to, to put in a shift and turn out uh, a conversion like this, uh, it really is kind of a miracle. Um, but it showed what the system could do in the right hands uh, when it had someone that was... Uh, when it had a team behind it uh, that knew the infrastructure and knew what it could do and put the time in, uh, it could really sing, and you'd end up with something stunning like this. It uh, definitely sits alongside, you know, the the big three, as it was called back then, you know, Virtua Fighter 2, Sega Rally, and, and Virtua Cop. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it easily, you know, sits alongside those three. And you've got Virtua Cop 2 as well, which is another fantastic, you know, port on the Saturn as well. Um, it easily sits alongside them. You know, it's if you have a Saturn and don't have that game, I mean, it is definitely one that stands the test of time as well. It really is, and I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's all that expensive now. Um, it's 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 one where I think the uh, Oratorio Tangram I think you can get on 360. I'm not sure if it's backwards compatible with Xbox One now, but um, you can't play the original Virtual on uh, on a modern system, which is a, which is a crying shame. But um, the Saturn version isn't really expensive, so if you haven't played it, it's definitely worth uh, seeking out uh, seeking out a copy of it. Especially whenever you consider that Auditorio Tangram didn't come to the PAL Dreamcast market. Yeah, yeah, it's again massive shame. It just shows that the, as, as popular as the series was in Japan, it just there just didn't seem to be the, uh, the the appetite for it as much over in the West. Sega Europe, man, honestly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Decisions that they have made, which will baffle me until I go to the grave, honestly. Unbelievable. <laughs> ah, okay, and your final game then? The final game for me is uh, one of my absolute favourite games of all time, and that's Nights into Dreams. Um, so I'm a huge Sonic fan, and missing Sonic on the, on the Saturn uh, for me was... Uh, it was disappointing. It was, a bit, it was quite a big thing. I, I, I missed Sonic Extreme. I, at the time, I, I, I do... I did wish that it was it would come out. Um, I think looking back at it now and looking at some of the footage, I think I'm, I'm probably glad it didn't. Um, but I, I always wondered what Sonic Team were working on. And when Knights came out, um, it was a game that I had to have instantly. Although I didn't quite know what was going on. Uh, and as I say, <laughs> I, I, I think that was the point. Yeah, I, I, I remember seeing footage of it, and I was thinking, okay, how does this work? How does this strange 3D satin pad work? Do I do I move in um, in the forehand background as well? It wasn't until I actually played it that I, I managed to get my head around it, uh, and that's one of the frustrating things is uh, I try to explain to people why this is one of my favourite games of all time, and it's so difficult to actually explain what it actually is. Um I'll give that an attempt now. It's, it's essentially a, 
it's a arcade kind of experience. Um, you're essentially flying around courses, amassing points, uh, linking chains, flying through hoops, collecting various items. Um, there's so much going on in it. Um, there's so many ways to rack up points uh, that um, I couldn't quite list them all now. Um, but there's a story to the whole game. There's a narrative to it. Uh, essentially, you need to get a certain grade to pass through onto the next stage uh, to see all the story. Um, but that's kind of secondary to, to the whole score attack of the game. And I think I mentioned in this in, in, in the written piece that it, it reminds me a lot of Pac-Man Championship Edition, where that game is all about racking up high scores. Uh, that ultimately is what Nights into Dreams is all about. Uh, and as a game, it's just absolutely phenomenal to play it's one I still boot up obviously now and again still try and beat old scores, old times still try and beat bosses to get the highest multiplier, there's so many layers uh, and complexities to how you can rack up scores and how you can perform that it's just uh, mind boggling at times but it's a beautiful looking game It there's again there's nothing else quite like it, uh, there's the sequel which uh is okay, but I think it, it got the it got the feel of it completely wrong, particularly in regards to the, how it put the story out there and how it how it structured some of its stages. Uh, but there's no real game out there that that feels like Nights, where you're you you with that sort of uh, dreamlike flying through the air sort of emerge that sort of feel to it. It's it's very difficult for me to uh, to put into words. Um, but again, it's because it's such a, a unique game, such a, a beautiful, brightly coloured, gorgeous sounding uh, experience. That again, I think this is Sega at the very top of their game. This is Sega pushing boundaries. This is Sega uh, giving people something that they they didn't know that they wanted. And again, it's it's it didn't hit the mainstream. Uh, people looked at it and looked at Mario 64 and looked at Crash Bandicoot, and we know which one which out of the three are. Are the most popular, but I feel like this is the most unique of the three, uh, and I think it's the one that actually stands the test of time the most. I think it's one of those games that if you get asked to put it in a genre, you can't. No, <laughs> it's impossible. I mean, Dream Simulator. Um, I mean, playing it with the, the the 3D pad, which would be the precursor to the Dreamcast controller. Yeah. Um, the, my my memories of it is, it was you actually felt weightless yeah they, they managed to somehow in a video game make your character feel weightless but connected to the controller yeah at the same time it was just as an experience like nothing else um the, the whole kind of the dream world setting you know the just the whole kind of thing at the start you see the kind of the kids drop down at the stage they fall the orbs go all, all over the level and you're, you're zooming around, you're going through these loops, you're doing the, the somersaults with, you know, to, to try and capture the orbs and chain that into you, then going through more loops. And it's just, people might, modern gamers especially, would be like, what is this shit? Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like, what I is got, this? I've got but, a friend that regularly chastises me for it. He says, well, you're, you're, you don't know anything about games, you're what oh. favourite about someone flying through hoops. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but it's amazing. <laughs> It's, it's, it's incredible. It's, it, it sounds bonkers, but it's it. They're really yeah. The weightlessness that you speak about, it, yep. it's you pick it up and it's one of these ones where you feel at one with the character on the screen. You don't feel like you're holding a controller because this control is so fluid. Yep. 
um, the the connection between you and and knights on the screen is is uh, one of the best um, feelings between a character or an on screen character and a player that I, I think that is out there uh, still to this day as well. Um, it all just feels so fresh and organic um, that uh, it it's it's kind of um, that there just so isn't anything else out there quite like it. No, hundred percent. It's it really is, and again, it's also on it's on Xbox Live. You can play it on on Xbox One backwards compatible. But um, I, I'm not sure. I've never played it on Xbox. I'm not sure if they've managed to recapture that connection between the, the character and the controller. You know, I know obviously you've got analog sticks on the Xbox One controller, but there was just something very unique about the um, the, the kind of the dumpy thumbstick, the dumpy analog stick on the. The Saturn pad. It, it felt like it was tailor made for that game, and I yep. think it was. Yep. Um, but I've got the uh, the Xbox version, and uh, it's it's actually very good on Xbox Is One. It? It's uh, yeah, it's it, it looks gorgeous in HD. I think they've done a fantastic job with it. Um, it's just one of these ones where I think there's there's just something missing. It may be that it may be the thumbstick. <laughs> it, may, it may it may be that you need to play it with a Saturn controller to to really feel it, but it, it plays perfectly fine on the uh, on the Xbox One. Um, so if uh, if you haven't got a Saturn, uh, then and you haven't played this game, then by all means you should be going out and uh, downloading it because it's it really is a game like no other. And uh, anyone that is thinking of playing it, you, they they really need to to put some time into trying to understand it because I think the, I think the biggest the biggest uh, blocker is people going to it and think what the hell is this what am I supposed to be doing especially since the opening uh, opening sections see you as a as a, as a Mario 64 type scenario but all you have to do is walk into the knight's chamber uh, it, it, it look, it's actually like a fraction of the game but it's I can see how it's quite disorienting but again it's it's Sega just throwing us a curveball and giving us something phenomenal that uh, that we didn't know we wanted, but when we actually play it, it's like, oh yes, please, more of that. Yeah, because I still I still remember as well because whenever obviously nights came up there, I was just sitting here nodding with a giant grin, um, <laughs> and it's the kind of same reaction that I had whenever I played Sonic Adventure, and uh, you went at the casino and you, you got the pinball table, yeah, and the music kicks in, you're like, ah. Oh. Amazing, oh, yeah. amazing. <laughs> so, so good. Um, but no, that's five excellent, excellent examples. Um, any honourable mentions that you know were close to making the cut and didn't quite? Yeah, there was a few. So uh, another one was Dark Saviour, um, which is another RPG on the Saturn. Um, again, multiple genres in that one. It's uh, like it's a isometric uh, RPG kind of like Landstalker um, but with turn-based combat which turns it into a fighting game if so it's not even turn-based it's the combat is basically a fighting game uh, multiple endings multiple scenarios from uh, the start of the game so again it's completely different to stuff that was out there and a lot of stuff I don't think there's anything quite like it since um, it's a climax game so again this is a, sort of a second slash third party game but again, it's another game that uh, I think uh, it just exemplifies how Sega just really weren't afraid to do something different, you know, to their detriment a lot of the time. I think it can be said because, again, this it's not a game that didn't that, that sold phenomenally well, but uh, I think it's I think it's fairly well regarded out there. Is, is that one that you played, James? Unfortunately not. 
but again, I'm aware of it, but it's not one. See, I mean, back in the day, I was just a total arcade nut. So, like, mm-hmm. any arcade conversions, I mean, I, I literally forced myself to play Sega Touring Car. <laughs> right? Because I loved it in the arcade, but the, the Saturn version was so bad. Oh, yeah. But yes. the music was amazing. So, I, I put up with it just because I, I just remember sitting in my room, I had my Saturn hooked up to my, my speakers, and I just remember sitting there having um, So High Avex tracks just booming out. The game was crap. I mean, the, the conversion was crap, I should say. I mean, the, the frame rate was abysmal. Um, so anything kind of arcade related, I just, oh, that's, that for me, the Saturn just brought the arcade home in a, a very playable way, you know, but, yeah. um, RPG wise, I kind of shamefully ignored them. So, um, aware of it, but unfortunately never ever owned it. Yeah. And I think it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's not too RPG heavy. So it's, uh, definitely recommend uh, trying that one if you ever get the chance. Um, uh, for honourable mentions, uh, I think I did mention the uh, the early Sega games. I mean, Virtual Fighter 2, um, for me, I mean, no, it's not, as I say, it's probably not the most original game, but that was Sega really pushing the boundaries of, of what Sega could do and what was expected in the industry. And I think even today, if you play Virtual Fighter, it's very different to pretty much any other, any other fighting game out there. I mean, Dead or Alive takes a lot of cues from it, uh, but it feels very different from, you know, fighting games that you'll see at EVO these years with you know Mortal Kombat and uh, Street Fighter and many, many others all playing very very similarly I think Virtual Fighter 2 stands alone um, again similar sort of thing with Virtual Cop again the light gun uh, sort of um, genre isn't the most innovative but what, once again we're, we're talking about bringing that into the 3D realm and, uh, and doing something beautiful with it um, uh, that's probably it for honourable mentions at the moment. No, all good. I mean, Virtua Fighter is that's that's my my favourite fighting game has been since that day in the arcades. It's <laughs> the first time I seen it, and then Monko getting that start and that was me. That's Akira is my my character of choice. I haven't yeah, I... tried any other ones. I used to get yeah. slid off by my mates back in the day. Going to go somebody else? <laughs> no, because I can beat you with Akira. <laughs> I find him very difficult to master. I think he's, he's I think he's got one of the trickiest move sets. So if you if you're able to play well with him then fair play to you mate. Uh, <laughs> I I usually go uh, either Pai or Lu Lao Chan or uh, Jackie or Sarah Bryant um because uh, I think I find them a little bit more accessible. Um <laughs> I the, find it a bit easier to pull off. The the move for Akira that it's it's so simple, but I mean it's a simple command, but you need to be in this precise position to pull it off. So close, but just far enough away, is just a way down diagonal towards and punching guard. And he does this kind of dash behind and then smacks yeah. into the back of him with his shoulder. But yeah. then it sets him up for a like a dash or a double kick. And yeah. it's it's a, a really really it's half an energy bar gone if you can pull it off. But if yeah. if you don't pull it off right, then you're gubbed because you're <laughs> you're right in front of them getting your ass kicked. So. Oh, it's it's one of those games, isn't it? Where if you if you pull something off, you look amazing. Yep. But if you, the timing completely wrong, and it, <laughs> Akira would just throw the daftest punch for the moment and just get absolutely hammered. <laughs> just he looks like a lemon afterwards. So yeah, it's uh that's the beauty of it, really. It's it's an ultimate risk versus reward game, but it doesn't need any sort of crazy energy bar or revenge meter or anything like that to to, to set things up. It's it's. You know, it's beautifully, it's almost balletic in the way that it goes about the fighting. Uh, and that's, that's the, 
that's the appeal of it to me. Um, I think it's the problem with it is I don't think it was flashy enough again for the mainstream. Uh, but Yu Suzuki, yeah, he, he he had a vision for that series, uh, and it's absolutely stunning as a result. So we've come to the end of the starting part of the show, but we're going to switch roles. So this episode's finished. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you have enjoyed it. You can now go and download, hopefully, episode two, where Dan is going to interview my good self about my five Dreamcast examples. Stay tuned. second part of this episode where I go over my Dreamcast selections will be released on Thursday. It's Thinking Thursday as it's known on Twitter. We'll see you then.